coming at you with another episode, a two-part episode actually, our first two-part episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. Um, We have the wonderful uh, Kelly Whiteside of the New York Times coming up in just a couple minutes, but before we wanted, excuse me, before we got that out, um, we wanted to spend a quick 10 minutes or so talking about the game that just transpired, and that was a 114-110 loss to the Houston Rockets. And on the line with me to talk about it, of course, who else would I want with me to commiserate on this game, which I don't know if it's actually a game that we should be commiserating about, and I'm going to ask him that, um, is Jeremy Cohen. Jeremy, how the hell are you, man? I wanted to win. I, so, right? Uh, not great, but I I really didn't want overtime because I would like Melo's record intact. Fortunately, it can live to see another day. That's great. But at the end of the day, one for the tank. But I, I did want this. I wanted to win. See, this is what, like, these are the games where I want to sit next to people who claim that they're actively rooting for losses like in a season like this and I just want to sit next to them and watch them watch the game because I don't believe that you could be a Knicks fan and root for them to not win this game I just I don't believe it's I don't believe it's like physically possible am I am I wrong with that no I don't think you're wrong again uh people don't seem to realize that the lottery odds really have changed to the point where you're not lucky to get Zion, you're incredibly lucky to just land in the top four if you finish second worst. We, we know what happened last time the Knicks finished second worst overall as well, and they slid down. So you just just take the wins if they come. That's fine. It all is a butterfly effect in the end. There's nothing you can change. So just take the win. That's my philosophy for moving forward because of the new reform system. Yeah, no, I I, I think that's I think that's smart. They uh, unfortunately did not take their win tonight, but. Um, let's hit on a couple of these performances because I think there were a couple notable things to come out of tonight. Uh, some good, some bad. Let's see if we could rifle through them. First and foremost, um, we're gonna go with uh, we're gonna go with Trier tonight, not Trier. We're gonna go with Trier. Alonzo Trier um, had I would I guess you this is probably his best game, right? As a as a rookie, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Thirty one points on eighteen shots, uh, finished with ten rebounds. Three assists, one steal, um, three turnovers. Yeah, there was some iso ball, but if there was ever a guy who um, had it going to the point where he earned the shots that he was taking, uh, it was him. Uh, what did you? Let me I, actually. I'm gonna. I, I know we want to keep it focused on tonight, but did a game like tonight alter your big picture perception of? Um, of Isozo because I know we people have been kind of souring on him over the last month or so. Did this kind of restore some faith for you? I was thinking about that. It didn't. It didn't. I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt with his injury, and I, I 
don't know if he's going to get better than this. We've had this discussion, but yeah. you look at a game like tonight, and it felt like a light switch from the moment that Hardaway Jr. talked him out or cursed him out after that, that one drive <laughs> where he was <laughs> wide open and he took the contested shot instead. Uh, and it really felt like a light switch where everything after that, he seemed a little bit more um, eager to pass with, especially it was that, that Mitchell Robinson lob, and his mind just seemed better and his game came to a little better more tonight so long term still to be determined because again there have been a lot more duds than there have been even decent nights tonight is an exceptional night so i'm still eager to see a little bit more but that's where i'm coming from what about you um no i I, i'm with you i i do want to see more i think the one thing and i i said it on the the periscope and i think it bears repeating we get we get lulled into, I don't know if that's the right word, but whatever. Uh, we get lulled into believing or forgetting very easily that this he is still a rookie. And I get it that he's a rookie with a lot of, of a lot of college experience. I get it he's a rookie that's 23 years old. But because we have so many players on this team that are so much younger than him, we lose sight of the fact that, listen, if you're a rookie in the NBA, at the, like whatever whatever caveats you want to give it, you're still a rookie. So the stuff that people get mad about, the defense, which, you know, it was... I Whose fault, by the way, was it that the wide-open Gordon 3 should... should? Do you think Hardaway should have come up off of Harden, or do you think... Do you put it on, on Zoe for not going over the screen? I would put it more on Zoe for the screen. Okay. But it was one of those plays where... As good of a three-point shooter Eric Gordon is, that was a deep three. I yeah. can understand living with it in that situation. You and maybe like, don't expect it. Games, yeah, no, I, I 100% agree with you. Game situation, I didn't expect it either. Anyway, I'm gonna like he's gonna get better at defense. If the thing I th- think people worry about is they're like, oh, this guy's just an isolation scorer. He doesn't pass. Well, again, that's the type of thing that can improve over time. So I'm, I'm. I, tonight was, you know what? It was a good reminder, I think. So, um, kudos to Isozo. I said on the Periscope that I thought the second best player tonight was Frank Nilakina. And I said that fully conscious of the fact that he was scoreless. Um, he was the only Nick to play that did not score. He was 0-5 from the field. I still thought he was the second best player. Am I crazy? I wouldn't say you're crazy. His passing and his defense were everything that the Knicks needed tonight. Would I have liked for him to at least hit one shot or get one point? 100%, absolutely. But we talk about this repeatedly where if he's that type of winning player where he can kind of fill in the the nooks and crannies and and be that subtle type of player who doesn't need to fill up the the stat sheet, then that's fine. And that's kind of what he did tonight. I I guess I'd lump him in that. Second, then again, Mitchell Robinson. Even though he committed some silly fouls, I I consider putting him above Frank. But I I think Frank definitely was far better than not. And it's a shame if people really lump his shooting and his lack of scoring with the rest of his game tonight. And and again, like no one, me and me and Jeremy are the two biggest Frank fans that you'll ever find. We are not going to sit here and tell you that his lack of shooting is not a concern. It is a huge concern. And if Absolutely. it does, it, like anyone who says that is lying to you. People are like, oh, it's it doesn't really matter that much as long as he does these other things. No, no, it does matter. 
he does need to be able to make a basket. If he does, if he is not able to make a basket, he is not a like you can't leave him on the floor like in in high stakes games. But it's if that starts to come around, it's like what you saw tonight is exactly is exactly what they need. I want to jump before we hit on Mitch because we should pro- we should mention Mitch because he had a nice game. I want to jump from Frank to Moutier. Um I was like I've been the Frank Moutier thing and and just specifically Moutier's play and his his continued like I don't even want to call it a leash because it seems like he's been given license to go out there and essentially look for his own offense more and more and it's very apparent that that is bad for the overall team's offense and it happened again tonight, and I want to say it was even worse tonight than it has been in the past. What did you think of Moutier's game tonight? Exactly that. It felt very um, individualistic. It, it didn't seem like he really was able to get everyone on the team involved. And it's it's definitely an issue, of course, because you talk about defense and passing and that really isn't something that you see with Moutier and you're right it's mind-boggling why his leash would be so long especially with tonight I think he had four assists and seven turnovers and then looking at the last few games um oh my god I didn't even see the seven turnovers I mean I knew he had yeah oh my Uh, and then last game two assists no turnover turnovers great that he was able to limit the turnovers but then two assists and five turnovers in London against the Wizards Four assists, three turnovers against Philly, three and four against Indiana, respectively. So this is problematic if you if you are not good in transition defense and your turnover your point guard is turning over the ball and he can't defend. I, I don't know if you need basic stats, advanced stats, what kind of analytics you might need if you're Fizz. Be like, you know, this this isn't working. The numbers don't back up Moutier, but nevertheless, I'm going to keep putting him out there. I just don't. And it's not even Frank is an infinitely better choice. It's by no means that. It's just I don't see when you look at something, you know it doesn't work. And you say, well, I'm just going to keep going at it. It doesn't make sense to me. I, I, I'm i in the process of writing a, a piece on this. And it is like the first piece that I've started. And I don't even know where to go with it. Because it's all about this like issue of people's... Criticism of Fisdale, and it's it's related mostly to this issue. And I don't like I don't know what to do with it because it like yes, we have this very clear sample size of Moutier running the team, and it, it has gone it has gone bad. It has gone poorly now for I want to say a few weeks, maybe longer, at least a few weeks though. Um, you you just spattered off the stats of five games. We had, you know. Um, a solid 20 to 30 games where it was like not consistent uphill the whole time, but like mostly uphill. So I, I just, I don't know. I think about this and I try to figure out what this is. Is Does he just want to keep Frank in the second unit because that seems to be now working for Frank? Is it about like, let's get our evaluation process on Moutier complete um and, and know for sure this summer whether or not we want to bring him back is is it like is he trying to tank in in uh the or maybe obvious fashion not obvious fashion I don't even know what you call it I, I don't know I don't know I'm at a, I'm at a loss Jeremy I don't, I don't know what to I don't know what to say or do with this one I'm I'm yeah 
Upstairs. Yeah, you know, and I would like to see Frank and Moutier play more together because before yeah, tonight's game, they played 27 minutes together the entire season. They had, I want and to they, say, what, three or four together tonight, somewhere around there? Five yeah, minutes, and, maybe? But, yeah, but before tonight, they had had a net rating of, I think, 17. Yeah, positive good. 17. And again, small sample says, but why are we not exploring more of that? Yep. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's um, let's touch on anybody else we need to touch on before we go. Uh, Mitch, you, we mentioned briefly, five for five from the field, uh, twelve points. Did foul out again, but I. It's amazing of of everybody. I think that I've watched all of the the six the core six young guys: Dotson, Zoe, Frank, um, Mitch, Knox, and um, and Cornette. I'm, I'm grouping Cornette in there. I am like, I think I'm most excited and most confident in Mitch out of all of them, and that includes Knox. I just I love what I see from this guy every game. It's crazy. Yeah, he is a blank canvas, and there's so much <laughs> that you can do. To, yeah. to I, I when you see him in practice and he's able to shoot some of those threes, I'm like, I so want you to start doing that in oh. games, even if you airball every single one. Just <laughs> anybody. I mean, t- taking a Clint Capella type of player in that archetype and then yeah. having him stretch the floor would be almost unstoppable yeah and i mean even we've seen with Embiid this year you know he only shoots 30 percent from three but even that is enough of a threat that when you give you know and obviously Embiid's a different player than mitch in terms of of how they're going to operate on offense Embiid obviously has a post-up game mitch has no semblance of that but just you know having a center who could even put that moment of doubt into the defense's mind. Like, I can't leave this guy, can I? Um, yeah, I, and he had four blocks tonight in 17 minutes. Four blocks in 17 minutes, my God. Um, yeah, so that was good. Um, last thing before we go, we've, we've gone already longer than, than we should. Did you have an issue with... Um, did you have an issue with the last play the inbounds to to von lay that got stolen uh no not really i mean again it's hard to consider those um clutch moments especially with fizz off the court yeah he had gotten ejected already (laughs) right so i would have i would have loved to have seen him manage in crunch time but i think the reason the knicks actually got that close was because fizz was ejected it's sort of like in baseball when a manager riles you up and you you find the motivation so and at that point, it's just like, you know, maybe Vonley wasn't the best option, but who else, who else really is? I don't feel confident with did, Moutier, with Ball Moutier's hands, with Hardaway's did, hands. Did you think we'll, – we'll end with this. Did you think that um, Nilakina should have been in the game basically till the end? Maybe not till the end, but definitely longer than it took. And I also thought that the beginning of the third quarter – um, he should have been in far sooner. That it took a long time for Fizz to yank that lineup, and it, that's it, my criticism. I completely agree. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. He, that's. I don't want to say that's where the game was lost because they ended up taking a lead late, obviously. But I, I couldn't agree more. I just, yeah, it's. This is this is the thing that's going to now gnaw at me for the foreseeable future, you know, I guess until at least the trade deadline and then we'll see what happens at the trade deadline. I, yeah, I don't know. All right. 
I'm, I'm like, this is one of those ones that's going to stick. It, it, Fizdale said it in the presser after the game. He's like, this one's going to stick with me for a while. Well, guess what, Fizz? It's going to stick with us, too. Um, I have I have your piece open on my browser that you dropped today. I have not read it yet. I'm going to read it um, probably tomorrow morning on the way into work. So uh, why don't you plug that and anything else you want to plug before we go? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just try to look at some combinations of things. It's not a fizz attacking piece by any measure. Uh, it's just kind of questioning why some things may work, some why some things won't. For example, um, the fact that Nilakina and Moutier haven't played much together or the fact that Nilakina and Knox, and it's not solely focused on Nilakina. I know it started to turn into that during the writing process, so I did everything I could to not make it a Nilakina-centric article. But... Um, it's. I think. It, I think there's actually some funny components to it. So even if you think all of the analytics is bullshit, at least stay for the humor. I hope. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's that's my plug. Um, and you can find that on Gotham Sports Network, um, which is GothamSN.com. According to the little, oh, this is very helpful. According to this, it says it's only a six-minute read. Who can't spare? Six minutes. Think of all the shit you do in your daily life in which you waste more than six minutes doing. You could be reading Jeremy's article. Why wouldn't you want to do that? So go read Jeremy's article. Um, Jeremy, uh, thank you. You are uh, now officially going to be a precursor for Kelly Whiteside because we're going to post her interview after this one. Um, Anything you want to say since this is certainly the closest you'll ever get to the New York Times? Wow. That, uh, That hurts, John. Hey, listen, uh, <laughs> I had it there. I, it was it was it was an easy one. Oh, it sure was. Um, no, I I guess life is basically meaningless at this point. This is this is my. <laughs> so I'm gonna I'm gonna go to bed, but by crying myself to sleep, knowing that this is the best it gets, and wake up tomorrow and just um, you know, just get at it. That sounds like a good plan. Um, all right, man. Thank you so much for for joining me for this one. I, I think uh, I think the Knicks fans will will appreciate the uh, the cathartic um, post game after this one. And uh, yeah, stay tuned. Uh, we will have Kelly Whiteside coming up in just a couple of seconds. Video. Hey there, Knicks fans. How are you? Uh, of course, joining you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast. My name is Jonathan Macri. It's a pleasure to be with you for a very, very special episode of the show. I mean, every episode is special, but, you know, this one's a little bit extra special, and you're going to find out why um, in about a minute. So before I introduce our guest, I am actually going to be introducing my co-host, uh, someone that we haven't had on the pod before, but if you follow Nick's Film School, you've seen her um, definitely on the site, you've seen her on Twitter, and that is, of course, Sue Swada. Sue, how are you? I'm good, and you? Thanks I'm... for having me. <laughs> well, you're part of the team. It's not me having you. Yeah, it's like, but you it's know. Your, you got... yeah, your podcast, this is your thing. I love it. You know. Oh, please. Listen, it's a big dinner table. You have a seat at the dinner table. Um, Yay, you, know. you can finally sit me in. <laughs> I, I just hope that the food is good. Um, so, uh, thank you for, for helping me out with this, um, very, very special interview. And I'm really excited because, um, 
before this person kind of <laughs> changed all of our lives a little bit with uh, her Times piece about the uh, Nick's Film School site. Um, I guess it's been uh, a few months ago now. Um, she's someone that I've read and, and followed for a long time because uh, she was writing for Sports Illustrated back in the day when I used to get my magazines in the mail. Uh, and that is, of course, Kelly Whiteside of the New York Times. Kelly, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Do, do you miss the, the old magazine way of doing things? Be honest. I, I, you know, I do. I do. And the funny thing is, you know, because that was before our lives became 24-7. And um, the even, even the pace of the magazine, like I think we had Tuesdays and Wednesdays off because we work late nights on Sundays. Sure, yeah. You know, we didn't have to like <laughs> have to stay up all night. I mean, on su- the deadline was Monday. Yeah, so those were the uh, halcyon days of uh, being able to have a life without being on call all the time. I mean, it, it's funny. Me and me and JB joked about it on an early episode of this of this show. It's like it could be, you know, whatever. Five in the morning, and if news breaks, and we're you know we're just two regular guys, and if we don't comment <laughs> on it, it's like what the hell are you doing? And we're not even <laughs> we're not even in the industry, but um, you are in the industry, um, and you know I was I was kind of thinking about you know your your role in this kind of media landscape, and I think it's a unique one because I think unlike a lot of people that cover cover the Knicks, cover any you know professional sports teams. Just from the the tenor of your stories, I feel like you maybe have a little bit more latitude in choosing the 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 angles from which you approach, you know, covering these players, covering these teams. And I was thinking to myself today, how did you like? How do you decide which which approaches you want to take when you're when you're you know kind of crafting these stories? Um. So, yeah, so I'm, I'm doing Nets and Knicks features and columns. And when they asked me to do this, which was like, you know, a week before the season started. Um, a little uh, preparation, huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, the way it was presented to me is given the Times covers sports, New York sports, very differently than it, than it had, you know, back, you know, 10, 15 years ago when, you know, every New York sport had a beat writer. Um, kind of, I was charged with looking at both teams and doing interesting stories, you know, from 30,000 feet up, you know, um, you know, the beat writers and you guys and everybody on social media, you know, are, are kind of covering all the day-to-day stuff, um, that fans really want to know about. Um, and my job is to just kind of, uh, parachute in here and there. Um, when I find interesting stories, um, and I've just been really fortunate. There's a lot of interesting guys actually on both teams. Wow. So with interesting backstories, um, you know, so in terms of what I decide to do next, it's just simply, um, you know, what story maybe hasn't been told a thousand times or what is interesting about this person's background that I can do a deep dive into. Um, you know, so it's, it's kind of, um, it, it's kind of a really fun fun gig because um, even though the Knicks are, you know, their record is what it is, um, you know, there's still interesting stories that that I still want to write. Are they are they bad? I haven't I haven't checked their record. <laughs> I, I don't know yeah. what uh, yeah. they, they under 500, I guess. But how about those Nets? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, the Nets are doing good. We're gonna let that slide. <laughs> 
<laughs> they're covering both angles. A team that's actually going to have a shot at the playoffs and a team that's trying to win the tank. Exactly. Exactly. And still, I mean, as you guys well know, the the, the interest in the Knicks far outweighs the interest in, in the Nets, whether it's nationally or, or, or locally. Um, but that said, there's, there's good stories on both teams. Yes. Um, so given that like, there is obviously no, no shortage of, of things to ever write about. And you, you say yourself that like, you know, there's a lot of interesting characters on both teams. Um, you, you know, I, I have to think that like, are there ever, are there ever moments where you're, you know, you're doing a story and it's like, man, this is like, this is why I got into journalism in the first place. Like, have, you, have you had any of those moments this season that have really stuck out to you? Yeah. You know, it's funny because so a, a little bit about my, my background, I was at USA Today for 14 years and um, I was covering college football and then I was covering um, the Olympics and the World Cup. Um, and in 2014, I covered, you know, we had two, the uh, Olympic year and a World Cup year. Um, back to back. And I was just never, ever, ever home. <laughs> I decided to kind of leave journalism full time and go teach journalism, um, and uh, which I still am doing. And um, simply because, you know, it was I have a seven year old and, you know, I wanted her to remember me <laughs> you know, in a That's year fair. which the Olympics were in the World Cup were going on. So just the travel, the travel while it was a, a great, great, great gig. Um, I just needed to, to be home and and um, and be a mom. So um, the times really got me back into into writing and especially with this with this gig. Um, but what I've noticed in the time that I was away from writing regularly every day, um, you know, I so missed it. So now that I'm back doing it regularly um, and writing every week, I, I really do have an appreciation because um, I think when you're in it for so long, you know, you're like everybody, you're complaining about this, that, and the other thing. Um, and then when you're away um, and you get back into it, I kind of really appreciate everything. And I, and I see myself almost as a rookie because I've never covered the NBA before. My only prior time, I've mostly covered college sports and my mo and, um, my only time covering really the NBA from any extended time was at the Olympics um, in 2018. I basically wrote about them the whole time. I mean, 2018, 2008, I wrote about them the whole time. Gotcha. So to answer your question, um, so there's a, been a lot of moments where I felt this is why, you know, I love writing. This is why I love telling stories and interviewing you know, and it's it's whether it's, you know, big picture stuff like politics in Turkey um, or, you know, just fun stuff. It's it's I, I really uh, appreciate the opportunity. Um, my question for you is, I would like to know, does it any particular event that you covered since you um, you covered basically almost everything dealing with sports from college to World Cup? Mm -hmm. What specific event? pops into your mind that you enjoyed most to cover? Sure. Um, I think, you know, the, the Olympics is like the best thing ever, right? I mean, you, you, there's always great stories, great moments. Um, so I, I would have to say in terms of my favorite thing to cover, it would be the Olympics. 
terms of my favorite event I've probably ever covered, um, back when I was at Newsday, um, I covered uh, the the Women's World Cup, the 1999 Women's World Cup uh, soccer. You know, Brandy Chastain, Mia Hamm, Julie Flaherty, all those guys, um, and kind of followed them throughout their retirement. And I have to say, just oh, that's wow. the best group of their of athletes I've ever covered, just in terms of people and quotes and stories. Um, so I, I'd probably have to go back to soccer in terms of best thing I ever covered. It's it's funny, like I I'm not a soccer fan, but it, I feel like if I reflect back on in my own lifetime watching sports, if someone just asked me like, what are the most memorable teams you've ever seen, for like some inexplicable reason, that women's team would just pop up in my head. It, it just had that certain quality, which that must have been awesome. Yeah, yeah, and it's funny, like you know, I teach sports journalism to kids, and you know, they that's ancient history you know it's it's kind of fun to introduce stuff to them that's was such a milestone in in our lives growing up and yeah and uh you know for them they were you know babies okay before we all start feeling too yeah, old sorry. um <laughs> no that's okay <laughs> sorry, sorry to take us down there okay. that's okay anyway. it, it happens sometimes um so uh we're, this is obviously the the Knicks Film School podcast, and as such, we are contractually obligated to ask a Frank Nilakina question on every show. Um, so you you wrote um, you wrote one of my favorite, if not my favorite, Frank pieces of this year because obviously you got behind the curtain a little bit um, of a young man who seemed to me, after reading that piece in particular. And this comes through sometimes in interviews and such, but it really, it really shone through there. He's twenty or whatever he is now. Yeah, he's twenty. Um, he seems a lot older, uh, and he seems really wise beyond his years. Was was that kind of the same impression that you got after you interviewed him? Yeah. You know, I think it's you know he grew up in a different place from here. I think that that adds to kind of uh, probably a little bit of his maturity and the the fact that he does you know, seem older than he is. Um, and one of the things I was really struck by him, you know, he's very earnest, but also honest at this, you know, and, and even when I was talking to him, um, I think one of the, the, the great things about sort of me being an outsider is like when I started seeing the, all the Frank love and the Frank obsession, you know, with, with on you know Nick's film school and on social we media. we know it well. <laughs> and you know it well. I was like, what the hell is this all about? Like, why? <laughs> like, why this guy? Like, he pays twenty minutes. Like, what is going on? So I remember just asking him about that. Like, does he notice that? Does he notice that there's this great Frank debate of him? And um, and like he. Even though, like, you know, players say all the time, oh, we love our fans, you know, we appreciate our fans. There was something about his answer. I don't even know if I included in the story. I can't remember. But it was, like, so genuine. Like, he he, he notices. Um, and I was just kind of struck by that. It didn't seem um, trite or, or, you know, he, he didn't answer the question as he as a lot of athletes do to how they think they should answer it. It was really, really genuine. So it, it kind of had a soft spot for him uh, yeah. after I talked to him. I, you know, I, I've thought about it all year. Why is it? And it's the question every, every, I think journalist, everybody's asking is why is this guy such a, I, I don't even know if it's why he's a lightning rod. It's just, why are people so passionate on one side or the other? And I think it's almost like 
he's kind of like a referendum on basketball right now because mm-hmm. he represents like is that the same impression that that you're getting yeah yeah no that's a great point yeah it's a whole bunch of things i guess it depends on on you know his position is you know is shooting is you know is he too unselfish is it you know yeah the, i think it's all it's so many different things to different people um but but i still don't think i have a good handle on on the frank phenomenon i, I really don't you guys probably have a better handle no it's like the mis- it's a meaning yeah. of life question it's like there, there's no answer <laughs> i mean we also face backlash of the frank haters as well mm-hmm. us biased and you know mm-hmm. but you can't help but want to root for the guy exactly uh, and I, I remember talking to jb about the site and its origins and um I remember he, he had said, like, one of the things that really caught people's attention was when you guys did, like, a breakdown of, of Frank early on or something. Uh, you know, so I think uh, I think it's all about you guys. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, all right, Kelly. Recently, you also co- covered Cantor and his yeah. uh, situation he's facing. Have you ever encountered such a... Uh, difficult situation because you've um, covered all kinds of backgrounds and um, have you ever encountered anything like this with cancers facing? No, I mean I've done a ton of stories that you know are international um, stories and 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 cover some of the same ground, but but never somebody whose life is you know who who feels his life is in danger and so wrapped up in the politics of his country. Um, it's, 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 um, yeah, it was a hard story simply because I wanted to do this story a, a while ago and we just felt, Oh, well, we really have to do it closer to London, you know? And then, then when he was on the road trip, he talked about it. So I didn't really get to it cause I sort of had to just, you know, do a lot of catch up. But, um, you know, for me as a reporter, it's interesting because, you know, I've kind of been you know, paying attention to Turkey, but I didn't realize how volatile the situation is there. Yeah, and I think, and um, you, yeah. You provide a platform for him because um, he was recently quoted on the, on you retweeted his actual article because I was confused. I'm like, oh, this is him actually writing it. And you retweeted it recently where he says, mm-hmm. Some of my teammates and coaches don't understand what I'm doing by speaking out, but they support me, for which I am grateful. Um, they have become part of my surrogate family here in the United States, and um, the media is actually helping him um, speak out on a, for the, all the people that cannot speak out, that are facing kind of the same thing, which are journalists, too, you know. Back yep, yep, and, I, you know, and... and um Cantor is 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 super savvy right yes be able to use that platform and you know it it's great for him because it's it's obviously a very important thing um to him his family his country um you know and and it was just an interesting you know since we've been so focused on um athletes in the last you know five years or so um in the United States you know being outspoken in terms of social justice issues, um, it, it was just an, you know, another, um, another example of kind of athletes using their platform, um, for, you know, to, to promote change or, or, you know, or to just point things out and make people notice. 
So, so I'm thinking about what you just said and, you know, going back to when you started out in the business way back when Sports Illustrated, Newsday, if you were an athlete and you had something to say, it was like, all right, well, um, find a reporter and uh, try to get your story out there in a magazine or a newspaper or um, that was basically it. And now everything's changed and I think – you know, I think we, we kind of see what the ramifications of those changes are in terms of how people consume what their favorite athletes are, are able to say. But what I'm wondering is, how has that changed your job in terms of like, you, you're still, you are covering these people, but at the same time, if they want to get something out there, they could just get it out there. Like how much more difficult maybe I should say is that has it made your job? Yeah, no, it's a great question. I think, um, I think if I was kind of a beat writer covering, you know, the day-to-day news of practice and, and, and obviously game coverages, it would affect me more, you know, especially if you know, I was covering, you know, made his announcement um, on social media or whatever, and, and, you know, I basically got scooped by the person I'm supposed to be covering. Um, I, I think... Um, you know, outlets like the Players Tribune that give um, athletes a forum, you know, to, to kind of either break big stories or social media, which obviously gives everybody a forum to, to tell their own story. Um, you know, I, I, I don't feel it's, you know, when the Player, Players Tribune first came about, people were, you know, saying, oh, what will this mean for sports journalism? I mean, I think it's just just added to it. I, I don't think it's been this big... Um, competitive, um, you know, giant. Um, I think it's just, just, just another way to kind of get people's stories out. So, um, so I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm curious just again, because you've been in this for so long, do you have an opinion on where sports journalism, or even if, if you want to say journalism in general is, is headed next? Um, you know, with like, <laughs> With, uh, you know, sites like us out there. I mean, people yep. who are just putting stuff out there. Like, where, where do you think it goes from here? You know, it's 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 interesting. I mean, I, I root for The Athletic because um, it's given so many good journalists and sports jobs. They're so good. It's <laughs> yeah, just, they're so, I, I mean, they're so I good. I, I, I know. That. They are. And and I think if if anything, if that blows up, then, then uh, you know, it's brim for – for the future in terms of, of digital traditional um, media in terms of the sports coverage that we've grown accustomed to. But um, I think, you know, if you ask, um, you know, kids in class where they get their news from college kids, you know, they're not getting it from the traditional sites. They're getting it from um, they're following their teams through, you know, fan sites and, and social media, you know, they're not getting their news from the New York times or the daily news, you know, maybe they'll see it on, on Twitter. Um, you know, but I think, um, in terms of the future, I think there'll be a ton of jobs, um, continuing to be entry level jobs in like social media and sports, whether it's for, you know, team sites, league sites, um, fan sites, you know, places like that i'm i'm hopeful we all know the models broke in terms of it ever going back to the time where you know so many 
reporters were traveling covering teams on a daily basis. Sure, yeah. Uh, a few more questions about your career. Sure. Um, in a very male-dominated industry, have you ever encountered any issues and um, or anything in particular that made you like feel that you have to work twice as hard, or mm-hmm. or you know, because you have a very strong career and you're very well known. So, um, well, thanks. Um, the I think I've been so fortunate in the fact that. I covered a lot of colleges um, and I covered college sports and I covered um, international sports where the whole setup is, is different. And actually there are a lot of women that cover the Olympics. Um, But um, you know, so in terms of war stories, I always, you know, refer to my friends when I'm telling, you know, whether I'm teaching a class about gender issues and, and female reporters, I always have to rely on like my friends to to Skype in to for, to share their war stories because I've been lucky in the sense that um, I haven't had you know truly horrific um, examples That's of funny. sexism. But but I think to your point about um, I, I think it really comes down to if you're a male reporter, it's assumed you know what you're talking about, and if you're a female reporter, you have to prove that you know what you're talking about. And I, and that really has not changed in, in all my years in this business. Um, the fact that, you know, you, you, you almost have to, to prove yourself. And I think as I get older, I really don't care. <laughs> you know? But, but, but uh, you know, when I was younger, it was like, you know, I was so uber prepared for everything because I didn't want somebody to think that I didn't know my stuff, you know? And, and um, you know, so it's more of those subtle things that I faced as opposed to, you know, some, some great big episode of locker room craziness. Oh, which is good. Good. Yes. Did it you is have good. to go through that. Um, also when you're lecturing your students or say female, female, um, lo- females looking into going to journalism, what is your best advice that you give them? Um, I think, you know, I, it's almost the same whether um, male or female, you know, you have to have a, obviously a passion for it. And, um, uh, you know, I, I, my keys to success that I always tell kids are just, you know, do more than asked and show up early and stay late and kind of the general stuff that you would, you know, advise anybody kind of starting out in a career, um, you know, and just let them know it's, it's, it's a tough landscape. Um, you know, they're going to have to do stuff that they, they're not really interested in doing necessarily um, if, to get a foot in the door. Um, but, you know, I, I um, you know, I, it's a great, you know, I've, I've loved writing. I've loved covered sports. So, you know, I'm not one necessarily to, to say, um, you know, to go down the route of like all doom and gloom in terms of the future of, of sports journalism, but, you know, make sure they're aware of it and also make sure that, they're prepared to kind of do all the stuff that, you know, they need to do like shooting video and and doing audio, you know, besides just reporting and writing. So perfect advice. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, I know. You know, I I wonder sometimes how many people listen to this that are, that are pursuing a a career in this. Um, So obviously you've been around um, the Knicks quite a bit this year. Mm -hmm. I'm, the, the, my last thing that I just kind of want to get a sense from you, and because it's the thing that fans we really can't know, 
um, is, mm-hmm. you know, when you're around a team, you just get a feel for kind of what's going on with the team sometimes. And mm-hmm. I, you know, it's like, it depends on your position. Like we had Rebecca Harlow on here and obviously, mm-hmm. you know, she, she said a lot of wonderful things about the feel of the team, but she's also someone that, that works for mm-hmm. MSG Networks. Not to mm-hmm. say I don't believe her, but I think you have to always look at where the information mm-hmm. is coming from. Sure. You are straight journalist. You are, mm-hmm. you are there, you are, and yet you're also not a tabloid. So you don't have mm-hmm. to cater to, um, shall we say any, any particular types of storylines. What sense do you have of of this team? The feeling around this team, it, do you sense things are going in the right direction, or what, what's the deal? You know, it, I guess before the road, the long road trip, you know, even when I think some of that has disappeared a little bit. That's fair. Um, yeah, you know, and and um, but in terms of of you know, it, it's been hard to get a read on on just the different lineups and, you know, who they're going to keep this for next year. And, and it seems a little, um, chaotic to me. Um, okay. just all the, the changes that we've seen, you know, especially early on with the lineups, um, you know, and now, um, you know, the, as they're, as they're continuing to lose and continuing to go farther and farther down, it's, um, the guys have been great to deal with. I don't know if that'll be continue um, okay. as the losing mounts. Um, but up until now, the guys in the locker room have been really, um, you know, I, th- I think it's a locker room where there's a lot of decent guys, you know, and they, they obviously may not be happy with their playing time, but they kind of get what the organization is doing. Um, so I'm a little mixed. I'm a little mixed. I mean, I, I, was even enjoying you know, games in which they lost for various reasons. And I don't feel I've done that recently. Um, how confident are you uh, in coach Fizdale? Mm-hmm. Although some people are already tearing him apart. <laughs> this is a, you know, a rebuild yeah. season. Yeah. How do you feel like for you the holds for him? Sure. And- I mean, from a media standpoint, um, and not from a coach, you know, from a fan standpoint, but from a media standpoint, he's been great to deal with because, you know, even when the story might see this same old, same old, like he finds something interesting to say. So he kind of bails us out a lot. Um, he's just an, a thoughtful kind of intelligent guy. And I think even, I mean, I don't know if that'll change as we continue to go into the second half of the season. In I, I tend to think, he'll just kind of be the guy he is but from a media standpoint he's been he's been really um good to deal with because you know he'll answer our questions and he'll you know make jokes and you know keep things light you know when it could be completely opposite um given the record well that's good to know i mean yeah what what fan wants to root for a team whose coach <laughs> is an asshole if you exactly. excuse my friend excuse exactly. my friend Exactly. Uh, um, listen, Kelly, I, I truly, 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 uh, I can't thank you enough, not only for me, but on behalf of, of all the fans out there, because it, and well, this is from deep down the depths of my soul. I love to read about this team. Um, even though I write about them, I love to read about it. And if I know that I could pick up someone's piece and read about it and not feel intense self-loathing after I'm done... <laughs> That's a great feeling, and I know when I pick up what you write, (laughs) 
I don't feel that way. <laughs> so thank thank you for that and for coming on the podcast, most of all. <laughs> Great. Thanks so Thank much. you so much. And actually, happy early birthday. I see your oh, birthday up. I do. Happy birthday from the Nick's Film School. Thank you. We oh, really it's a Groundhog Day. So it's yeah. a national holiday as well. Yep. Oh yes. Wow. Oh yeah. that must did you ever did you ever have any 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 stories growing up that related to your Uh-oh. birthday being on Groundhog's Day? Do I ever? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're out of time, but yeah, next podcast. But I've gone to Puxatawney after that movie came out, and it was oh, like wow. the worst trip. I went with a friend one night, and she had to work late, and we got on the road at like I don't know one in the morning, not thinking that Puxatawney was basically in Ohio, oh. and it was a, a nightmare. We arrived like just out of the house and being you know held up. Um, for all to see and um, sorry that's my dog and uh, basically we're in the back and and we saw nothing and it's not charming at all it's nothing like the movie it's like the Uh most blue collar town you can possibly imagine and um, just I'll leave you with this so I remember we, we saw there was nothing to do except go bowling but then we saw a sign for Groundhog Zoo we're like oh all right this could be fun and basically it was a fish tank in the front of the Puxatawney <laughs> library oh with like two sleeping groundhogs. It was like the worst trip I've ever oh made in my, my life. Gosh. But um, so anyway, so yeah, for your listeners out there, if you ever have the urge to go to Puxatawney where Puxatawney Phil is, <laughs> don't. You heard it here, folks. Puxatawney, it's a sham. <laughs> um, Kelly, I, I didn't give you my best compliment, which is that I even read your net stuff as well. So. Oh, that, that, that means so much. That I is, it's a high, high compliment. I try to avoid any <laughs> like face their fans every time they're me apart that we suck. They're doing amazing. Um, yep. All right. Well, Kelly, thank you again so much for okay. the time. Um, Sue, thank you for uh, being my guest host today. I really appreciate thank it. How would you, you feel? It's an honor, especially to talk to Kelly. Yeah, see, we have a good wow. time. Yeah. It's, it's great. Um, and of course, most of all, thank you out there for tuning in to uh, another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We will be um, back with another episode for you. Uh, I think we're putting one out this weekend. Uh, the Knicks play a game tonight. Uh, we're recording this at, at Wednesday at about um, 5.50. Something tells me that by the time you hear this, they will still have 10 wins. And on that note, everybody, hope you're doing well, and we will talk to you soon.